Jonah chapter 4. Hear now the words of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left, and also much cattle. These are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Um, many of you uh, know that I have a, a rather large family. Um, have a huge family. I've got uh, three sisters and I've got a brother. Um, my mother was the last of ten children and I'm the last of five children. So because of that, I mean, I have a host of cousins and I mean, every time I go home, there's a little kid running around. I don't have any clue who or he or she is. I'm like, who, who is this? Where did you come from? And they're looking at me like, who are you? You know, um, I got 12 nieces and nephews, and I love them to death. So I've been spending time with kids for a long time. I love kids. But one of the things I've learned about kids is kids can be incredibly selfish. They really can be. So um, kids don't like to share. Some kids like to share, but most kids don't really like to share. So if you give them something, uh, maybe mom or dad gives them a toy that they really like or they really enjoy, or mom or dad gives them some candy that they really like and they, they, they really enjoy it, and they don't want to share it with anybody. Mom or dad says, look, look little Johnny, you little ball of sin, you. Share with brother and sister. Share that candy. Share that toy with, with, with your cousins. Share with your friends. They don't want to share. They don't want to give it up. You little sinner, you share. So mom and dad encourage them to share. Why don't they want to share? Why don't they want to share the things that, that they enjoy? The things that they can take fruit of? And here they are not wanting to share 
something that they did not provide for themselves. They did no work for it. It was given to them freely, yet they still want to hold on to it. They want to hoard it like it was something they provided for themselves. When it was given to them freely. You know, kids, those little balls of sin can be so compassionless. Kids can be so compassionless. And this morning, I think as we will navigate our text, what we will see is that very picture. We'll see one in Jonah who can be so compassionless. I want to share what he didn't work for. What he didn't provide on his own. He doesn't want to let go. He wants to hoard it for himself. And his daddy is saying, give it away. I gave it to you freely. Now, give it away, Jonah. He's having the hardest time doing that. This morning, I want to speak from the subject, compassionless people, compassionate God. Before we dive in, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are good. Thank you, Father, that you are in our midst now. Thank you, Lord, that even with our lack of compassion, you are still compassionate. Your love is everlasting. And as the song says, it's better than life itself. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would intervene by the power of your Spirit. May we encounter you this morning, and may we find you to be sufficient. That's my prayer. Lord God, may we find you to be through your son Jesus, through the person of Jesus. God, may we find you to be enough. Enough. So often, God, we don't find you to be enough. And this morning I pray that we would find you to be enough. And that because we're convinced that you are enough, that we will live as people who believe that you are enough. Help us to that end, O oh God. Father, I pray that you may decrease me, that I may increase. That I pray that I would in- decrease, that you may increase, God. That you would have your way this morning. That you would speak through me. Use my tongue. That you would get glory and not myself. May, may I step down. May you step up. Have your way this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you um, haven't spent much time with us, we are in the fourth chapter of Jonah. And uh, we're finishing up our series uh, of the book of Jonah. And um, let me just give you the rundown of what's been happening in the story. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is given the word of the Lord from the Lord. And the Lord says, go to Nineveh. The city uh, has, their evil has risen up before me. And Jonah heads in the opposite direction. He's incredibly disobedient. And we talked about the implications of that disobedience. He heads in the opposite direction. He finds himself on this ship. Uh, God sends a raging storm, uh, waves, uh, winds, all of this kind of crazy stuff. And Jonah is thrown overboard because the sailors find that he's responsible uh, for this storm. 
He's thrown overboard and a fish comes appointed by God to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of that fish for, get this, three days and three nights. He's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights before he decides to pray. And we saw in chapter 2 that Jonah begins to pray and he's experiencing uh, uh, the, the humbling effects of God through this fish. And so Jonah prays. He says things like, uh, only God can bring us out of the pit. He says things like, um, uh, uh, the Lord is the one who rules over salvation. Salvation belongs to Him. And so Jonah, he's, he's humbled a bit and then he's spit out on dry land. So he's got all this mess on him probably. His skin is, has been changed a bit. And here Jonah is, and uh, we saw that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And we said that God is a God, not just of a second chance, but He is a gracious God of another chance, and another chance, and another chance. And Jonah is given another chance, and then we find out what he does with it. Uh, See, Jonah is more about the prophet than it is about prophecy. Uh, I believe that some scholars talk about this, that Jonah only has eight words of prophecy in it. Those very words that he preached to uh, the people of Nineveh. I would would agree with them that uh, Jonah is about a prophet and we glean from this prophet's story in a deep, serious way. Uh, Jonah is, the major theme in Jonah is sin and grace. Sin and grace. And this idea of sin is that we are consistently running away from God because of our brokenness and our sin. We're consistently rebelling against God because of our sin. And God in His graciousness pursues us. He pursues us intentionally through His grace. It's about sin and grace. And what's interesting is that you have a guy like Jonah. And Jonah has this Billy Graham-like experience. He preaches this sermon and people come to know the Lord in droves. They walk in repentance. And you would think that he's going to be excited. That you would think that he's going to be thrilled. You would imagine that Jonah is going to find himself in awe uh, of the hand of God. And he's not. It's not what happens. Jonah is angry. See, one of the things we learn from Jonah's story is that it's not enough for us to intellectually know God if we don't love His people. It's not enough for us to intellectually know God if we don't love His people. Jonah sees the people of Nineveh repenting and he he is immediately angry. I mean, look at verse 1 with me. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah's not just a little bit upset. He's burning hot. He's flaming. That's the the language there in the Hebrew. Jonah is burning with fury. He's upset that these people came to know the Lord, and they're walking in repentance. Jonah is like, God, I I knew this would happen. That's why I didn't want to go to them in the first place, God, because I knew you are a loving God. I knew that you were a merciful God. That's why I didn't want to go to them in the first place. I I knew this would happen. 
And he says, God, I knew your character. And when Jonah says, I knew you were a merciful God, when he says, I knew you were a God of uh, everlasting love, when he says these things, what he's saying is, God, I observe these things about you. He's saying, God, I understood these things, and not only did I observe them, but I experienced them in my life. Didn't we see Jonah experience these things in his life? I mean, just a couple seconds ago, here is a guy who was inside the belly of a whale. His life was spared. He's already been touched by grace. Yet we find him angry. He's upset. Though he knew the character of God, he's still angry. He knows that he didn't deserve grace, but yet he wants to reserve extending that same grace of God to people that are in need of it. He says, God, since you want to give it away, go ahead and do that. Just kill me first. See the desperation there? You know one of the things I, I, I will say about Jonah is that I love Jonah's honesty in his prayer. Chapter 4 uh, is where we see Jonah. He's praying. He's conversing with God again. But he's deeply honest with God. And he's saying, God, I didn't want you to save him. I want to be honest with you about that. And I think that's something that we can learn from Jonah. So many of us... We're in hiding from God. We don't want to be honest with God. We don't want to put things before Him in an honest way. Why? Because we don't want to face the truth that we'll encounter. Jonah is honest with God. But again, Jonah, he's angry. He's misguided. Uh, See, uh, remember the wickedness of Nineveh? Not only is Nineveh wicked, but Nineveh is a foe of the nation of Israel. They're doing wicked things to to men, women, and children. They're all about war. And Jonah knows this. He knows that the nation of Israel is probably next on the list to be conquered. And maybe Jonah has had some, some, some family members to be affected by Syria and Nineveh. Maybe he's had some loved ones to be, to be hurt by them. And so he's got this anger and bitterness in his heart. And he does not want to see the nation of Israel touched by grace. Ever been there? Ever harbored anger or bitterness in your heart? Didn't want to see God move for one of your enemies. How do we handle this? 1 John 4, 20-21 helps us with it. says it this way, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you see that? Jesus would say it this way from his own voice in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and get this, Pray for those who persecute you. Woo! That's tough. Because it's easy for me to pray for somebody I love. It's easy for me to pray for somebody that I care about, that is in trouble. That's easy. 
But what Jesus challenges us with in Matthew, he says, pray for the ones who do you wrong. Pray for the ones who turn their backs on you. Pray for the ones who talk about you. You you pray for those ones. That's the, the challenge. See, this is real for Jonah. He's probably experienced some upset. Can you take that down? Thank you, brother. Do you see how Jonah's bitterness and anger is eating him alive? It's the story of the undeserving pointing fingers at the undeserving. See the irony in that? Here is a guy who deserved nothing. He deserved the judgment of God, yet he received mercy. And now he doesn't want to extend the mercy of God. Ever been there? (laughs) Ever turned your nose up at somebody? Ever looked down upon somebody in a paternalistic kind of way? Ever been there? Maybe an enemy. Somebody who did you wrong. And yes, they did you wrong. But what Jonah's story teaches us is those are the very ones who we ought to, to, to love. Those are the very ones who we ought to be taking the message of the gospel too. We, our hearts ought to ache to see them walk in repentance. The ones who have wronged us. Those are the very ones. Um, uh, I was watching uh, LeBum James win the... I'm sorry. Uh, I was watching LeBron James. Uh, and he actually had a fantastic game. Uh, I'm not a huge LeBron fan. Uh, but uh, he, he had a great game. He really did. He played his tail off. Um, watched him win his second title. Okay, um, And here is a guy who makes a huge amount of money from his salary in the NBA. Here's a guy who signed a $90 million contract as a teenager with Nike before he even played one game. He has more endorsements than we could probably even count The dude is wealthy. He's got a lot of stuff. Um, But yet he won his second title and I was extremely impressed by the words that came out of his mouth when he was interviewed. He said, I'm just an inner city kid from Akron, Ohio. He said, I'm not supposed to be here. And, And that struck me. Because I think what he was saying is, I remember where I came from. He was saying, I haven't forgotten where I came from. He's saying, I grew up in the inner city. Um, I'm sure he was raised in a single family home, a single parent home. They struggled financially. But yet he's got all this stuff and he says, I haven't forgotten where I came from. That's what Jonah's missed. See, Jonah is turning his nose up at the Ninevites when he was just touched by grace. And the attitude that I think we ought to learn from the book of Jonah is, I haven't forgotten. That's what we ought to be taking from this. Jonah missed it. And you and I need to learn this over and over again as we deal with people, especially broken people, and we all are, that, you know what, 
maybe I do know the Lord and maybe I am walking with Him now, but I haven't forgotten. I haven't, even if I was saved as a young person, I haven't forgotten how the Scriptures say that I am sinful. And at, at, on my best day, my righteousness is filthy rags. And I haven't forgotten how Jesus intervened into my life. I haven't forgotten what the grace of Jesus meant to me. And now I ought to be compelled to extend it to others. I ought to be compelled to do that freely. With no holds barred. No matter what the circumstance, even, get this, if they're my enemy. That's tough stuff. I think that's one of the things we ought to learn from this story. The way this becomes real is how we love other people. It's not enough to just affirm the character of God if we don't live it out. If we don't live that way. How are you loving other people? It's a good indication of the way you view God. The way you walk with the Lord. You know what's dangerous here? Um, And this scared the mess out of me. It's reading the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 3 as well. Um, And I realized that there is the potential. Jonah, get this, was successful in ministry. Yet he was far from the heart of God. Jonah preached an eight-word sermon. People began to walk in repentance. Ones that were far from God. Jonah saw fruit. And yet, his heart was far from God. His heart was deep and drowning in unforgiveness. Drowning in anger. He was successful. Nineveh began to repent. He was successful. What if, what if you could preach or what if you can minister and the people that you serve, they get it, they learn or they, they, they begin to walk in repentance, but your heart is still messed up. What if you, you could so teach and students, they begin to learn and, but then they, Maybe begin to understand the gospel if you're living it out before them and having a few conversations here and there. But what if your heart is still messed up? See, this scares me because what we see is that the danger is that we could be successful in a mess. In a mess. That's Jonah's story. God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Jonah goes out of the city. He makes a little shelter for himself. And in a sadistic kind of way, Jonah is literally waiting for the demise of the nation of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh. Jonah is sitting on a little hill and he's made a little, a little a sh- a shed for himself without a top. And he's waiting for them to be devoured by the hand of God. He's hoping that they would again turn away from God. And that God would eat them alive. See his heart there? He wants to sit back and watch them suffer. Nineveh then has, they have this kind of Memphis-like heat come upon them. God sends this heat wave. 
And Jonah, uh, the sun is beating down upon him. God allows a plant to grow up to cover him, to provide some shade for him. And he's exceedingly happy. He's pleased by this. Jonah didn't get this happy when the people of Nineveh repented. But he's exceedingly happy because of this plant. You can see the condition of his heart here. He's happy. Then God takes away uh, that, that plant. Um, see, one of the things we learn is that many times our instability rests in the reality that we are not in control. Many times our instability rests in the reality that we are not in control and this theme is reoccurring over and over again in Jonah. Several times Jonah says, just kill me uh, because this is not working. I, and I think he's saying, because I'm not in control, just kill me. I can't do this anymore. And when we're not in control, get this, many of us fall to pieces. We fall apart. He can't control what happens with Nineveh. He cannot control what happens with this plant that's giving him comfort. And because he's not in control, he's upset. And he's fallen to pieces. He is empty because he can't control every circumstance of his life. In one breath, Jonah is thanking God. For sparing his life. And in the same breath, he's saying, kill me, God. Many of us are like him. Instead of resting in God to be in control, we are empty. We're falling to pieces. Why? Because we don't have the control that we want. We want the control and we don't have it. So the relationship is in shambles and we're falling to pieces. Why? Because we don't have the control. Our marriage is in trouble, maybe on the rocks, and uh, we're falling to pieces. Why? Because we are not in control. Career is not where we thought it would be. And we're in trouble. We're desperate. We're not in control. We're faced with that. See, the the reason the believer can have peace with no money in their account, the reason the believer can have peace even when things go wrong, is because they understand that Jesus is in control. The reason a single person can deal, even in loneliness, is because they realize that Jesus is really in control and they're not. That He's in control of the timing. He's in control of the person. He is in control. See, Jonah has a submission problem. His natural proclivity is to want to control, to put his arms around things, around every circumstance in his life. And it's driving him nuts that he cannot control it. But what God is doing here is he is little by little revealing his character to Jonah that he may know him deeper. Jonah has a submission problem. Scholar Wayne Grudem says it this way. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them, two, cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do, and three, directs them to fulfill his purpose. My grandmother was not a theologian, but she said it better than anybody else. She said, there is nothing too hard for my God. She knew God was in control. She knew that her, where her hope lied, and it was with God. Um, let me let you into my world a little bit. Uh, 
I have a healthy distaste for cats. Um, I'm just going to be real with y'all. I'm just going to let it out. I, I don't like cats. All right. Um, so uh, I was in Midtown not long ago, and uh, I walked past this store. It was filled with cats. I mean, they actually have a cat store in Midtown. Figures, you know. Now, um, I could tell the cat lovers because y'all looking at me like, don't you, don't you go there. Um, but I really don't like cats all that much. And in this store, I mean, there's cats everywhere. I mean, you walk by there when the store is closed, there are cats in the windows, cats on top of the bookshelves, cats running across the counter. I mean, cats everywhere. It's like a worst, it's my worst nightmare. It makes my skin crawl to see these cats everywhere. Um, the thing I don't like about cats is they, they think they're too good for you. You know what I'm saying? Um, they think they're too good for you. Uh, cats just, they don't want you around. You can only touch them certain ways. They want to be in control. And I feed you. But you want to be in control? You See, the thing about dogs, think about dogs. Look, dogs, you know, are extremely forgiving. I love dogs, you know. They're nice. They're for, they love you. They'll lay at your feet. Um... Dogs are fantastic. Cats, on the other hand, they'll just snap on you if you get wrong. Cats will go for the juggler. They they are messy. Why? Because they want to be in control. They want to control every aspect of their life. And sometimes, get this, you got to put a cat in its place. You know? Sometimes you just got to put a cat in its place. So, oh, you don't want to do what I say? They can't be trained. I put you in the cage. And you just put the cat in the cage and shut the gate. Um, I think that's one of the things we see. Jonah has some cat-like tendencies. He wants to be in control. And God says, you are not in control. And at times, God says, I'll use circumstances to put you in the cage. That you will learn, Jonah, who is in control. What about you? How have you submitted to God's providence and control? Are you running in your own direction? What about you? What about your life? Lastly, I want us to see this. God has deep love for those made in His image. Jonah wants to die for losing the comfort of, get this, a plant. God asked the question, do you think that's right for you to be angry, Jonah? Jonah has the guts to say, yeah, I think it's right. God, I know it's right. Have you talked to God like that before? You going to date him anyway? Yeah, God. I'm going to date him. You you really going to do that with her? Yeah, God. I am. Jonas, hear the tone in Jonah's voice. Look at verse 10 with me. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh with a huge amount of people who do not know their right hand from their left, and they have animals? God is saying, Jonah, here you are upset at a plant that you had no part in growing or no part in killing, and 
here you are upset. Can I not be upset for the ones that I've made? Can I not be upset for the ones that, that, I've, that I've loved and nurtured that are turning their backs on me? Do I not have the ability to be upset? This should touch you deeply. This question is one filled with God's compassion for those that are marked by God's image. And I love this question because it shows the character of God. It reveals the character of God. And it's blessed my soul to hear God ask this. You know why? Because Nineveh, they are a people who do not deserve God's grace. But yet God is pursuing them. They are people who at every turn had turned away from God and went in the other direction, but yet God is pursuing them. They are people who probably had blasphemed God, who had did everything they could to run away from God, but yet God is pursuing them. Do you know that that's your story too? You're Nineveh. You're the people who have turned their backs on God. And God is pursuing you through His love and compassion. And get this, you don't deserve it. You didn't do anything to merit God's pursuit of you. You are not good enough. Neither am I. But God loves you anyway. And I love what Jonah said. He said, God is... A God of, I know that God was a God of everlasting love. And what that word there is in Hebrew is hesed. And it's God's covenant love. It's God's promising love. Jonah even knows this about God's character. And we also see this revealed in God's pursuit of Nineveh. God has a covenant kind of love. A love that we don't deserve. And get this. He knows Nineveh and he knows you as well. And he still wants to extend that love to you. That's the kind of love. See, it's one thing for your friends to love you. They don't know you. And maybe they know the things that you've done. But they don't know every thought. That's why it's even more beautiful that God extends His compassion to us. Why? Because He knows us. He knows every act. He knows every thought. But yet He decides to extend and to pursue us anyway. God has a love and compassion. He cares for us. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God has put His likeness and His blueprint upon us. And He loves us because of it. One time, uh, I was having a guy showing me a house. Uh, a guy, a friend of mine was showing me a house. And uh, he didn't live in the house, but he built the house. And he's walking me through the house and he's pointing at different details in the house. He would point to the trim and he'd say, this is kind of why we did this. And he'd point to the shelving and he'd say, this is kind of why we did this. And he'd point to the floors and you can see the expression on his face. He loved this house. He had put time and 
effort into this house. And he walked me upstairs and showed me the detail in the bathroom and the towel and all of these details. He loved this house. Put sweat equity into this house. This house had character because he built it with his own hands. Think he'd want to see something crazy happen to that house? No. Because he put time, effort, energy in that house. And that's how God cares for us. We were marked with his image. He loves us. He cares for us. Even though we don't deserve it. He's a compassionate God. Just like he loved Nineveh. He cares for you and I. This is the way I'm sure of God's love. Because of what he discussed, because of what we discussed weeks ago, Matthew 12, 40, 41. I want us to read this together. Let's look at it and read it together. It says this. Read it together. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. That's why God loves you. That's how I know. It's because Jonah is not the end of the story. Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. Jonah pursued Nineveh through the preaching of the word. And and God has pursued us through his own son and the cross of Christ. You You want to know how I know God is passionate for you? How he cares for you? Because there's one that is greater than Jonah that will come. His name is Jesus. And he stood in Your place and my place for your and my sin. And He died the death that we should have died. That's why I know that God is passionate. That God cares for you deeply. Pastor H.B. Charles, he uh, preaches, uh, he's a black preacher and he talks about his father a lot. He said how his father would, um, he would be a storytelling kind of preacher. And he said, uh, if you forget my sermon, remember my story. He would always say that. If you forget my sermon, remember my story. There are times that I would get in trouble when I was younger. I'd be doing something crazy. Um, I'd get in trouble and uh, my my mom would say, I'll get you later. We'd be out in public and my mom would say, "Uh, we'll take care of this later. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, no, 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 let's just do this right now. <laughs> let's, don't, don't wait until later. Let's, let's finish this right now. But you know, um, you know, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> and I didn't say that to her. Probably for my own well-being. I, I didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. And so for the rest of the day, I'm thinking, when is it going to happen? What's about to go down? <laughs> you know, for the rest of the day. Let's just do this now. She'd say, we'll we'll handle this later. And so I'm left kind of on the cliff thinking about what's about to happen. When is it going to happen? How will things 
end. And that's how the story of Jonah ends. Jonah ends with a question mark. God asks a question. Jonah, do I not have the right to love ones that I've created and that I've stamped my image on? And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, will we love that way also? Will we? Will we love graciously the way God loves? Will we care for the people, maybe even our enemies, the way God cares for us? Will we do it? That's the question we're left with. May your life be filled and marked with loving people who don't deserve it. Caring for people who may be considered the least of these, who can give you nothing back, who don't deserve it, and probably your enemies. May your life be consumed with that kind of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave undeserving people like us the love of your son Jesus. Thank you, Father, that Jesus didn't just die. He wasn't just buried, but he rose again. He defeated sin and death. And now we can be reconciled to the Father again. And not only, God, can we be reconciled to the Father, but we can also be reconciled to one another, even our enemies. So, mighty God, would you deal with the anger and the bitterness that may be in our hearts? Would you deal with the unforgiveness, O oh God, that may be in our hearts toward people that have wronged us? May we learn from Jonah's story of disobedience and running away from God. And may we take off the running shoes. And may we receive you, O oh God, for all that you are. May we trust you. May we find you to be enough. Now, God, I pray that you would bless these offerings that we're about to receive. That you would bless them. That you would multiply them. Not for the fame and the the greatness of downtown church, but for your fame and for your name. That it may be spread all throughout this city and beyond. Help us, Lord, to do your work and to love like you loved. In Jesus' name, amen.